the anchor asked me, so Benjamin, given all of your research and analysis and thought process, are you shorting Bitcoin? And I said, no, we don't. Because as an independent firm, we don't get really involved in the investment side. We're a consulting firm. But I sat there and said, well, why not? And as I watched it plummet throughout the year, I just thought, oh my gosh, the amount of money we could have made from backing our own advice that we're so confident about would have been astronomical. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. This episode is sponsored by A Starts Academy's online course, How to Start Building Your Wealth, Investing in the Stock Market. I wrote this course for those who want to go from feeling frustrated, intimidated, or overwhelmed by the stock market to becoming confident and in control of their financial future. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals to claim your discount now. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts, and I'm here with featured guests, Benjamin Quinlan. Benjamin, are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock. Let's do it. Let me introduce you to the audience. Benjamin is the CEO and managing partner of Quinlan and Associates. He's also the chairman of the FinTech Association of Hong Kong, an adjunct professor at the AIT School of Management, a mentor for Ping An's Cloud Accelerator, a guest contributor for eFinancial Careers and Regulation Asia, and a senior advisor to many leading startups in the region. He was previously the head of strategy for Deutsche Bank's equities business in Asia Pacific and its investment bank in Greater China. He has also worked at UBS, Oliver Weinman, and PwC. Benjamin, take a moment and fill any further tidbits about your life. The one thing that I didn't include, but a lot of people know about my professional career, is I'm a professional stand-up comedian. So I do that as a, a second parallel evening weekend moonlighting job. Prior to COVID, it was actually a lot of fun because I used to tour a lot around Asia, including in Thailand, where you are. <laughs> so I miss doing it very much. But thankfully, there have been a, a few shows in Hong Kong, but very much uh, a part of me and who I am. You know, it's interesting about that. I oftentimes, when I write courses or when I write research and try to come up with original ideas, the only way I can really test those ideas is to put them in front of people. And the best way is put them in front of the smartest people I know and say, what do you think of this? Buy this, sell that. And that was really the job of an analyst in the research operations that I've worked in over all my whole career was to come up with an idea that was original or semi-original and then put the research behind it to support it, anticipate the questions you're gonna get asked, and then get out in front of the fund managers and say, hey, why don't you put $10 million behind this idea and get blasted. And then I found an interesting story was when I went to New York once many years ago, I had a presentation and I had a, fund, a salesperson that was with me and they attended my first presentation. I then went all the way across America to San Francisco and then came back to New York. And I did another day of presentations and that same salesperson attended my last presentation. They said, there was nothing similar. Like it was completely different. And what I realized is that the only way to really test an idea is to put it under fire. And then I iterated through all of the, the weak points, the strong points. Is that the same thing with comedy and jokes? 
Yeah, of course. You constantly need to test your ideas. A lot of people ask me, do you stand in front of the mirror and tell jokes? And I say, of course not. It's quite odd to look at myself. I'm the worst audience reaction I can have to my own jokes. But you do need to test out ideas. And I often do it with friends. You need to select your friends very carefully. As you can hear from my accent, I'm Australian, right? I spend a lot of time there. When I tell my jokes to my Australian friends, they tend to be a little bit more depraved in kind of their thinking. So I don't use that as the reference benchmark now. Maybe good jokes within our little social circle, but different things work on stage. Yeah. Mm. yeah and it's, it's that feedback that's so painful or exhilarating, I guess, that really getting on stage is all about. Correct. I often say comedy is the purest form of democracy. You get up there and you have to win as many votes as possible with a different audience and crowd in real time. So it's a lot of fun and you learn to think on your feet and whatever skills you learn from being on a comedy stage makes honestly the boardroom a piece of piss. Yeah. Well, and now on to a subject that may not be so funny. It's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Okay. I think we all remember in 2017, all the hype going on around cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. I was literally on the headlines of the financial news every day. By about midway through the year, you saw Bitcoin starting to creep up in its price and people were making millions overnight and every single scammy ad on Facebook that you could think of was popping up on your screen. And as a strategic consultancy, you know, I like to put a lot of data and thinking behind the way we look at new opportunities and new developments, particularly in the financial services industry. So I deployed my team and I said, we're going to crack this and we're going to work out what is this ecosystem really telling us? And what is the real value of this very elusive Bitcoin that everyone keeps referring to? And what I was seeing when I was going through all of my research is analysts out there in the market were saying it was worth zero. Some people were saying it was worth a million. I think Jim McAfee made a very famous claim that if it didn't hit that dollar amount, he would do something to himself, which you can go and Google. But in any case, there was zero consensus and also zero methodology and approach to it. So we sat down as a team and we were working out how do we value this thing? There must be ways to do it. And we came up with four different methodologies and every single one pointed to the fact that this was a massive speculative bubble. Even one of the charts that we put in our report was just indexing the price of Bitcoin to the number of Google searches for Bitcoin. And it was literally a shadow. So when you're talking about the concept of FOMO, if there was any graphic to really throw that in your face, that was it. And we wrote the report, that's when Bitcoin was topping out at around 20,000 US dollars at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. And we released it to the market and we called price of Bitcoin at the end of the year at 1,800 US dollars. That's where we saw its true value. And by the end of the year, it hit 3.1. I think that was its low point. And Bloomberg cited us as the most accurate crypto forecaster in the world, right? Which we were. So a very proud claim to fame, but to go to your question, what was my worst investment? I was sitting on international TV, CNBC, and the anchor asked me, so Benjamin, given all of your research and analysis and thought process, 
are you shorting Bitcoin? And I said, no, we don't. Because as an independent firm, we don't get really involved in the investment side. We're a consulting mm. firm. But I sat there and said, well, why not? And as I watched it plummet throughout the year, I just thought, oh my gosh, the amount of money we could have made from backing our own advice that we're so confident about would have been astronomical. But alas, we didn't do it. So I would say in the history of my investment track record, that really stands out to me as something that is not my proudest moment because it got so much coverage around the world. We usually do a lot of financial press, but this made it into Quora. It made it into Reddit. There were all the groups saying, I'm going to check this post in a year from now and go back and see how accurate these guys were and how I would have loved to have put my money where my mouth is. <laughs> the missed opportunities. Indeed. Of course, you're not also remembering the fact that you may have continued to short it when it started to eventually move up to its next level. Well, we did actually call a rebound straight away in 2019. So mm. I missed both ends of, of, the, of the investment. It gets worse. It gets worse. <laughs> I would have made a fortune if I just followed all the things I said to do. But I'm happy to know from a consulting perspective, there's at least been client workflow that's come in. But from an investment perspective, that was definitely a really big missed opportunity for the past two and a half, three years. And as a result, you're not calling from a beachfront property. No, but I mean, in Hong Kong, if you sell this little coffin, you can probably <laughs> buy most beachfronts around the world. <laughs> exactly. All right. So before I ask you the next question, I want to follow up on something. And that is, so given that work that you did then and where things are now, how would you, you said there was four ways that you looked at valuing Bitcoin or at crypto what would the average listener who doesn't know much at all about crypto, let's just say, how should they think about what's the value of this? Well, I fundamentally see it as a speculative asset, right? There's no, if I had to draw the closest analogy, it's going to be more pushing towards digital gold, right? That's mm. how people are conceiving it in their minds. I know there's been a lot of developments around Bitcoin, like PayPal announced they would actually start accepting it as a medium of exchange and payment, right? right? Who in their right mind with so much volatility around Bitcoin is going to be using that as a currency? One of the things that fundamentally makes a currency work is some stability and store of value around the way you can transact. Mm. With Bitcoin, I'm not going to pay you in Bitcoin if I think the price is going to spike 50% in a week. So right. the reality is, yes, some exchanges may happen, but compared to fiat, compared to the development of stable coins, very, very difficult. When you ask how we valued it, we were looking at it as like an asset. So even as, a, as an asset, cost of production, like the cost of electricity, the mining equipment, all of these, a cost plus model. We were looking at it as an equivalent to a digital gold. We were looking mm -hmm. at it as foreign currency reserve. And then the final, I would say most specific way we were looking at it as a medium of exchange, as a currency, using quantity theory of money. And we were trying to understand and estimate its circulation and use within the global economy. And for us, it just didn't strike me as something that had that utility over and above fiat. And I always mm. used to laugh when people said that crypto is the future and fiat's garbage. Then I'm like, well, why do you keep quoting the price of your Bitcoin and fiat, right? <laughs> the second you tell me your Bitcoin is worth X amount of Ethereum or this amount of Ripple and you completely ignore the US dollar anchor point, then I'll start to believe that fiat is worth nothing, right? Right. 
Fantastic. Uh, there's so much to learn in that space. So, so tell us, what lessons did you learn from this experience? Well, I mean, when it comes to any good thought process around an investment, it is research, right? Homework, 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 and making sure that you do your research in a way that's very thorough. And you don't just look at technicals. You don't just look at theories. You look at what's going on in the broader market. I think it's very important to understand sentiment more generally and how people are looking at a particular space, particularly a new technology space like cryptocurrency was at the time. And when you see herd mentality gravitate towards something, I often find that when anything, anything spikes to that degree, it doesn't really bode or end well for that investment at the end of the day. So homework and research is one thing. The other part is, I would say, conviction, right? A lot of investors out there are very scared to back their thought process. And we all know the amount of times we've sat there with our friends and they've said, oh, I was going to do this or, oh, had I done that or someone... The reality is you often need to just put your money where your mouth is and you're not going to get everything right. Mm -hmm. And there's no need to get everything right in the world of investing. I think it's just getting some of your key convictions right. If you really believe they are the correct thing, will pay off in multiples. So, right. yeah. So the Got conviction it. as well. Got it. And I guess what I would just add to what I took away from your story is I would just add one thing to your convictions and, and I would say to follow your convictions, take a small position. Yep. Just because you have a big, strong conviction doesn't mean you have to put all your money behind it. Mm -hmm. But if that conviction is something that's investable with a small amount of money, do it right away. Yep. Just put a little bit in it and it changes the dynamics of the way you're thinking also to now own it and be in it. And so... And of course, with most of these convictions and ideas, start slowly, be careful of how much it builds up to be in your portfolio, but take action, I think is really a lesson that I take away. Anything you'd add? No, I, I completely agree on taking action because a lot of people, when they look in retrospect, they say, well, if I allocated my entire bank account to that, then it would have multiplied X-fold and I would be a multimillionaire. You can't think along those dimensions. You need yep. to think of your wealth in a, a broader context. And I think even starting with a small allocation, you are right. It does help change the mindset to bring people into the game, right? If you want to play in the game, you've got to be in the game. But if you're sitting on the sidelines, you're never going to really get involved to the degree you need to make things work for you. And then when the media asks you, well, did you put some money behind this investment idea? And you go, oh, yeah. They don't know it was only $100, but you know, you're saying, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've tripled my money on it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? I honestly think that people need to, at the end of the day, in addition to doing your research, is just go with your gut, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of the time, provided that your home, like don't go with random gut feeling, right? But if your gut is telling you to do something and you've done your homework to support it, it's oftentimes where people don't listen to their gut that they have the biggest regret. So if your gut is fundamentally pushing you in a direction to make a decision, take a position, go long on something, go short on something, whatever it might be, follow your instinct and follow your gut. And only over time can you work out if your gut is right or wrong. <laughs> that, that's part of it. People are trying to evaluate their imaginary gut, right? The gut that 
shoulda, woulda, coulda. What you need to do is the gut that actually took a position. And then you can start to have a lot more confidence around yourself, your capabilities. And again, you're not going to get everything right, but going with your gut and learning to, I guess, explore the way you think and react to things is a very important part of becoming an investor. And I think everyone needs to experience that, including the highs and lows, because it teaches you things along the way. So I think being in the game and yep. going with your gut is absolutely critical. Boom. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? For me, I would love to continue to build and scale my business. You know, I run my own consulting firm and it's we've, we've had a very good 2020, thankfully. And I want to ensure that that momentum continues into what is going to be, I guess, a bit of a precarious 2021. A lot of people don't know what is going to happen. But I think beyond that, there are some other things. I really want to get back on stage and do some more touring for comedy. I really, really, really miss it. I did a show last week and I had been off stage for months. And then I came back and you had the pre-show jitters and nerves because it had been so long. But mm. the second I grabbed the microphone and I looked at that packed room and the, the spotlights were on, there was just this muscle memory that clicked back in. And as I started to deliver and the crowd was reacting, I thought, gosh, this is really a part of me and I cannot let this go. I cannot forget about it. So that's definitely uh, something I want to focus on. The final thing is I'm writing a book and I've spoken about this before, but I have to finish the damn book. So I really need to get to the point where I focus the time, energy and effort to allocate a bit of time every week to get that done and get it out to market because I think it'll be a great and very fun read. Well, ladies and gentlemen, look for Benjamin on the stage or in Amazon <laughs> or at his company. And just so that the listener, if the listener said that they were considering, you know, they're looking for help or support from a company like yours, what would be the, the number one thing that you do or can help with for a company out there that's struggling in one way or another? Okay, so for us, it, look, it's hard to summarize in one sentence, but we are a strategic consultancy. So for those people who think McKinsey, Boston Consulting Group, mm. all of that, they're way too expensive. They are, I've heard many stories commensurate with their fee. They don't add the value that we were seeking. We're the alternative. We bump heads directly with these firms. So if you're looking for genuine advice, particularly in financial services and fintech, very honest, straightforward views, huge amounts of data-driven insights, research, and conviction, again, on the consulting side yep. to stand behind what we recommend to our clients, then give us a call, drop us an email. And we, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Our track record for the time we've been around has been something I've been extremely thankful for and grateful for and proud of. And it's nice to see that clients are taking a shining to us. Great. And we'll have all that on the show notes. So if anybody's interested, just go to the show notes and I'll have everything there. And unlike those stuffy management consultants, at least you'll laugh and have fun as you work with Benjamin and his team. <laughs> yeah, but just remember that the joke isn't the final presentation that we give to you at the end of the project. <laughs> the laugh that you're going to have is beating your competitors, implementing the great strategies. All Thank right, you. listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember to go to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals to claim your discount on my How to Start Building Your Wealth, Investing in the Stock Market course. As we conclude, Benjamin, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you 
alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I wish everyone a very fruitful 2021. I know 2020 has been rather odd for many of us, but it's an interesting year. I think the world is scratching his head regarding where do I put my money? Yields are at all time lows, fixed incomes returning you nothing, cash, there's questions around the value in the long term of the US dollar and fiat, but equities are through the roof. So how much can you sustain the valuations? At the end of the day, it's making some people very crazy. So I wish you all the best along with myself to make sure that we don't get bled dry in 2021 as the markets start to, I guess, find their real value. Amen. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.